can do as a believer, and I hope you are busy building your wall day in and day out. Now, there are things in our life that, that come at us that, that will try to penetrate our faith, and one of those things that prayer and, and the Word and, and other things, of course, will, will help us put up a defense against, but some of it is what we see in terms of injustice in the world, and that makes us struggle. Some of the things we see and some of the things we fail to see take place in the area of justice can be great hindrances to our faith. I did not know this name. I don't know that anybody else would know the name of Walter Roth. I guess that's his name. He was a Nazi. He was in the SS, and he was a colonel. And during the World War II era, he was responsible for the deaths of approximately 100,000 people, mainly Jews. And what this SS colonel did, he developed a mobile gas chamber. I didn't even know uh, they had mobile gas chambers. You know, when I think of the gas chambers, I think of Auschwitz and Treblinka and places like that. But this guy had a big truck kind of thing that he had sealed and he could take it out into the field and he killed 100,000 people. Well, after the war, this guy escaped to the South American country of Chile where he lived and worked under his real name until he died in 1984. Now, this was in spite of the efforts by the Jewish nation and others to bring him to justice. But he didn't even hide his name. They knew who he was. And at his funeral, German and Chilean mourners gave Nazi salutes and chanted Heil Hitler. How do you think that made Holocaust survivors feel? Do you think that bothered them that this guy managed to live his life without ever having to pay for his crimes? That's just one example. We, we may not, you may not even have heard of that guy. I didn't. I never heard of him. But you're aware of injustices in our world, maybe even in your own personal family. These are some things that we live with that cause us to struggle in our faith. Job struggled with this issue. We've touched on it a little bit as we've gone, as we're doing this sketch through the book of Job. But this morning we are going to focus on the prosperity of the wicked and how that impacts, can impact our faith and what we should do with that as people of God. So I invite, encourage you to turn to Job chapter 21. 
we are going to read a good portion of this chapter. We're going to begin with verse 7 and read through verse 26. Not the whole entire chapter, but it will cover what we are going to see and just give you a little outline. We're going to see how the prosperity of the wicked can upset the faith of believers. We're going to see how the wicked can prosper in spite, in spite of their flat-out rejection of God. But then we're going to see how the prosperity of the wicked is a strong indicator of the judgment of God in eternity and how we as believers can allow that to minister to our hearts. So if you're there in the 21st chapter, I encourage you uh, to stand in honor of the reading of the word. And I will begin reading with verse 7. Job is responding to one of the friends so far, and he says, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bulls breed without fail, their calves, their cow calves, and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre, and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace. They go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away? You say, God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction, and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them when their number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. Father, God, we thank you for this reading of your word, and now we pray that through your Holy Spirit you would give us understanding of this text, but Lord, more importantly than just knowledge, that you would give us wisdom in how to live life in a way that pleases you and leads others to the knowledge of Jesus. We ask and pray this in his name. Amen. So we're going to start with how the prosperity of the wicked can upset the faith of the believer. What we see here, Zophar, one of Job's counselors, has just finished his little talk about Job and Job's problems 
in chapter 20. And in verse 5 of that chapter, he tells Job that the wicked have short lives. The joy of the godless is but for a moment. And in verse 10, Zophar tells Job that the children of the wicked will have to seek the favor of the poor because the wicked's hand will give back his wealth. He's, Zophar's telling basically, hey, Job, there's still this thing in your life you're not admitting, you're not confessing, there's hidden sin, that's why you're struggling, and you better wake up because the joy of the godless is but for a moment, and the wicked are going to be judged quickly. Well, what's the problem with this? That's not what Job sees. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? What Zophar and the other friends are saying is that God always punishes the wicked quickly and that the righteous are always rewarded immediately. And that doesn't match up all the time with real life. Now, the friends are right that there's a pattern there, but they're really off on their timing and how they have judged Job. So Job's struggling this. He's, he has personally witnessed people that are not believers that are living, and not only just living, they're doing well. They're doing great. They're not having problems that the other believers are having. And that bothers him. Does it bother you when you see that? Bothers me. There's a particular business in this county, and when I go past it, I think the prosperity of the wicked. And it bothers me that it stands for something that is just totally opposed to the word and standard of God, and yet, it's doing well. It's doing well, and I think, where's the judgment? And that bothers me. I see things in the news, and I see people who lie and cheat and steal and do all kinds of things. You think they're struggling with rent payments? You think they're struggling with making ends meet? No. They're doing good. I, it bothered Job, bothers me. I think, I think it bothers other people. I know that it bothered the prophet Jeremiah. He said this in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read those. Because he's, he's talking about the same thing. He says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And then he says this. He's talking to God. He said, God, you plant them, and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. This, this bothered Jeremiah. Now, the Bible is very, very plain in that it doesn't try to hide things that we struggle with. 
another indication that the Bible is God's book. It was written and inspired by God. Mankind on his own would not come up, would, would not, there's a whole lot of things man would leave out of this book if, if we wrote it on our own. This is God's book. And he doesn't hide things from us. Not everything is easy for believers. And Job struggles, he, he, he shares with us the reality of the life of a believer. Job struggled with this. Jeremiah struggled with this. You may be struggling with this issue because there might be things in your life that you're living for God, trying to do your best to live for Him, and you're struggling, and yet you're seeing some other people, and they don't really have anything to do with God, and, and they're... They're, they're doing great. They got all kinds of stuff. God's good, been good to me. He's been good to me and mine. He has. And I, I've been a, someone who ties ever since my mom put that little quarter in that offering envelope when I was five and six years old. And I am blessed enough to give back a portion, a portion of what God has blessed me with. But you know what that means? That means I'm doing without some things here. I, nothing I need. But boy, I tell you what, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I've got some wants. I look around at some other people. I know they're going, don't go to church, don't do this, don't do that. And they got some stuff. They got some nice stuff. They got some cool toys. You know, sometimes I struggle with that. I'm just being honest with you. That's, that's not in my notes. Wasn't even planning on saying that. But that's just the reality. Living for God is not always easy, and sometimes we see things and we think, wow, you know, it'd be nice if, if, if I could live like that sometime. Well, what do we do about that? We pray for God's wisdom. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it liberally. I don't understand, may not ever understand, but I can trust God. And that's basically what God told Jeremiah if you read on in chapter 12. He said, Jeremiah, if you're struggling to keep up with the footmen, how are you going to do keeping up with the horses? And basically it was saying, if you can't handle this, Jeremiah, how are you going to handle this? What you need to do is just trust me. You don't need to understand it. You just need to trust me. And that's the message of Job, that that's where we're heading with this. And what really got him, not only were they prospering, and, and all that I read there in verses 8 through 13 about how their houses are safe, all of their bulls and calves, they're, they're, they're getting more, and their kids are doing well and dancing around and peace and prosperity 
But look at verses 14 and 15. Not only are they just living apart from God, they're actually living in God's face. They're actually, it's not ignorance. It's not like they're not aware of God. They're saying, hey, don't bother us. We're doing okay without you. Just stay out of our life. They say to God, depart from us. We don't want to know about you. Who are you that we should serve you? Why should I give God my time, my resources, my money? I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't need to do that. What profit do we get if we pray to him? What is the point of serving God? That's what that's saying. And these people are prospering. Years ago when I was at Stony Point, we had that faith ministry and went out and there was a family that lived in Old Mountain Village. I don't know if they're still there or not. But the dad's name, I don't remember the wife or the kids, but his name was Rick. And uh, over the course of a couple years, I saw him, I don't know, five or six times. They always welcomed me in. We had some good visits. But one of the last ones I remember when I was asking him about coming to church and I'd talk to him about Jesus and I'd shared the gospel with him. And, and it's what Rick told him. He says, he said, Mitch, he said, I'm doing pretty good. He said, got some nice car. House is paid for. My kids are doing okay. He had teenagers at the time. And he said, I just got a promotion at work. He said, life's good. And then this is a direct quote. He said, why do I need God? He said that to me. Why do I need God? Yeah, a little chill came over me when he said that. That's 15, 16 years ago, and I still remember it. Well, more than that, 17 or 18. There's people like that out there now. They're, getting, they're doing well. They're prospering without God. Or are they? Or are they? I think that not only ignoring God, but saying something like to God, even thinking that in your heart, that you don't need God, I think that is a very, very scary place to be. And to say that is blasphemous. You're talking about God, the creator. We are the creatures. He is almighty all-powerful, all-knowing. He's the one that gives us our very next breath. He's the one that allows us to get up in the morning. Not just us that are here in his house and not only the other believers that are spread out on a Sunday in our nation and around the world, but every person who's living, their very next breath is in his hand. That's who they're saying, don't bother us. That is a scary place to be. 
I'm not going to go into the story in Daniel 5 about Belshazzar, that king who thought he had it going on without God. And the hand came and wrote, the hand of God. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, he says, The God whose very next breath, or your very next breath, the God who holds that in his hand, you are mocking, and God has judged you. That's a serious place to be. New Testament tells us in Galatians chapter 6 that God will not be mocked. So we need to realize that nobody makes it on our own. None of us. We all need God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of life. And he is the one who will bring our life to a close. And at the end of that life, he will be the judge. And that is where this next point comes in because when we see people prospering, when we see them prospering, when they're blaspheming God and say they don't need him, and when they seemingly get away with things in this world, it's a very, you know, there's people that say, that, you know, what happens when life's over, just cease to exist, it's it, game over, we're all worm food, and, and we just black out into oblivion, and, and there's nothing that's not true. God is a just God. Now, he's a God of grace, and he's a God of love, but he's a holy God, and he will do that which is right. And if they aren't judged in this world, why would we think that he will fail to judge them in the next? Otherwise, if there is no judgment for the wicked, there is no point to try to live a righteous life for God now. If it doesn't matter. Oh, but it does. It does. Verses 19 through 26, Job is saying, Hey, Zophar, you're saying God is storing up iniquity for the kids. And Job's saying, uh-uh, I don't want to see that. I want to see them get it now. I want to see them get what's coming to them now. See, there's that sense that God gives us of justice, and it bothers us when things don't go according to the way they should go. And when God says that he is for the righteous, and when God says that the wicked will suffer, and we don't see it happen in this world, if it doesn't happen in the next, guess what? God's a liar. God's just a liar if that's the case. But it's not. There is a life to come. And there is judgment waiting. We don't always see it here. We don't always see judgment in this life. You got the, the guy that's it's, it's riding your, your bumper on the road and then he decides to pass you on a hill going around a curve and endangers you and your family and just barely gets around and he probably flips you off as, as he's going past you and then five miles down the road there he is he's a winner of the blue light special 
Yay. How many times does that happen? Not very often. How many times do we want it to happen? Every single time. Yeah. God's not going to let anybody get away with things. This life is not the only one we will experience. That Nazi colonel I talked about, Walter Roth, he, he didn't get away with anything. He escaped human justice in this life. But he, he is not resting peacefully in the next one. All these people we read about, the folks that are unjust, that, that just abuse people and seemingly get away with it, murderers and rapists who get off on technicalities, their, their lawyer's not going to do them any good in the day of judgment. Because it's a when. It's not an if, but when the books are open. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and then we see again in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, they're describing the same event, but it's the final judgment. It's a great white throne judgment. And it says, and the books will be opened. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will appear before that court. The, dead, the sea's going to give up the dead in them, Hell's going to give up the dead. And small and great, they're going to be standing before the God of justice. And there will be no excuses allowed. There will be no technicalities, no loopholes. There will be justice. And as you read there, and it's, it's not a, a fun read, but in Revelation chapter 20... It talks about those whose name is not written in the book of life. They are going to be cast into the lake of fire. There will be justice. Now that's not something for us to rejoice about. But it is something that should give us comfort. I want us to turn as I close to Psalm chapter 73. The psalmist, as you heard Eddie share... In Psalm 37, about not fretting over the wicked, uh, Psalm 73 is a psalm that deals with this particular issue as well. And I want to read just a few verses with us. This is a believer, and this is what the psalmist is saying in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth that's a picture of someone who's just living life doing it you know hey this is great got no problems who needs God and then verse 11 and they say how can God know 
Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And then look what the psalmist says in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, I've lived for God. I've, I've done this. I've, I've sacrificed. I've served, I've served, and it's in vain. It's, it's useless. But verse 16, but when I thought to understand, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And then he goes on to say about how God is going to judge. And then he could turn to God in the spirit of thanksgiving. So, as we bring this service to a close, I want to ask each of you to consider the goodness and grace of God. He does extend common grace to all of us. You don't have to be a believer to receive common grace. Matthew 5, 45, he says, His sun rises on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God gives common grace. To all of us. He's the one that gives the health. He's the one that allows them even to do these things. And this is a point of, of tension for us as believers. Talking to believers now. Because we want to see the justice of God now. We want, we want to experience it. We don't, in our humanness, we don't want to wait for God to judge them in eternity. We want to see him carry out his sentence now. What we need to remember is that while we were yet sinners, God did not carry out his sentence of judgment upon us. It may be that in the space of time, that those who are wicked can come to repentance in Christ. And that's where we need to come in instead of praying and asking God to just lightning strike them, which he could. We should be praying for God to open their eyes that they might see the error of their ways. And remember that maybe in degrees, but in essence, before we knew Christ, we were wicked too. Maybe we hadn't done all those things, but we'd rebelled against the holy God, and we were headed the same direction. There but for the grace of God go I. That should be the believer's heart, that we should pray for them, and that we should ask God to use us as instruments of his peace and as a witness for them. But if we are living outside Christ right now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, that's your destiny right now. Apart from God, you will meet his justice in eternity. But while you're here, he allows you this space, this time to repent and come to him.
in his goodness and his grace. So I want to share Isaiah 55, 6, and 7 as our uh, musicians come and as Mark comes to prepare to lead us in this hymn of response. This is the words of the prophet as found in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he was near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will just convict us of where we are as believers if we need to repent of our hardness of heart toward those wicked that are prospering god if we're if we're bitter about that help us to repent and to just enter into a season of prayer for them that they might know you and father if if someone is here outside of christ God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of the truth of Isaiah 55. What the prophet said, let those wicked forsake their way because you are a God of grace and you will abundantly pardon and forgive. Oh, Father, let your perfect will be done in this place at this time. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. To ask you to please stand turn to page 489 pass me not morning. I want to encourage you to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock for our worship service. Uh, should be a great time in the Lord. And I want to remind you that God is not confined to working in just these few moments during an invitation time. His Holy Spirit is free to work anywhere, even outside the walls of a church. Believe it or not, God works outside these four walls. And so you just let that percolate in your hearts. And uh, as God leads you, you just be obedient. But I want to thank you for being here on this holiday weekend. 
and look forward to uh, spending more time with you during this new church year. Nathan Hines, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Amen.